Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about why experts are looking at our environment to improve our health with help from Dr. Aruni Botnagar. Then you'll learn about how Polynesians and Native Americans connected across more than 2,000 miles of ocean all the way back in the 12th century. Let's satisfy some curiosity. You've probably never heard of environmental cardiology, and I don't blame you. It's an emerging field of study that looks at how environmental factors contribute to heart health. That's pretty exciting, since figuring out how our environment affects our hearts could go a long way in helping us prevent and treat heart disease. So to learn more, we got in touch with one of the pioneering researchers in the field, Dr. Aruni Batnagar. He's a professor of medicine and the director of the Christina Lee Brown Envirome Institute at the University of Louisville. Here's Dr. B with the scoop on where the idea for environmental cardiology came from and why it matters. The idea came up because we know that heart disease is the leading cause of death and it's been the leading cause of death uh, for the last century except 1917 and maybe this year it may not be, but it usually uh, kills more people than most other diseases. And so we have been treating heart disease uh, with an organic dysfunction uh, in a person. We try to control the cholesterol, the blood pressure, and we try to get them to exercise more. And then we sort of advise them to eat better and stuff like that. So this has been the main approach in for the treatment of heart disease. And apparently we're not making much headway. You know, the disease incidence continues to climb. And even though, you know, we can make people live longer, they have heart attacks and they get better and don't die from it, the disease keeps cropping up everywhere. And not only in the United States, but now the rest of the world. So the idea came out that maybe we're missing something very fundamental. And so maybe the disease affects it in the heart and the blood vessels and is uh, the person is affected when that person has a heart disease. But the origin of the disease may lie elsewhere, which we have not looked as carefully. And so the idea was to shift the attention from the individual to the environment of the individual. And maybe there are environmental influences, which are the causes, and then that gives rise to the effects and things like blood pressure and diabetes and obesity and, um, and hypertension. So that's the basic idea that the origin of the disease is in the environment. We think of environment in three different specific domains. So the first domain you would think is the natural environment. So the natural environment has seasons, it has sunlight, and it has the day and night cycle. And we are very closely aligned to that. So if you, uh, your circadian rhythms are misaligned, and that you would have even a few hours off from the diurnal cycle of the light, night and day, then uh, there is increase in blood pressure, increase in insulin resistance, diabetes, obesity, risk of heart disease. So we have to be attuned to the natural environment. The same thing goes for sunlight, that the sunlight is critical because if we, uh, we don't have enough vitamin D, that increases the risk of heart disease and diabetes, immune dysfunction. So there is sort of inextricable link between the natural environment and our lives, which we seem to be attempting to overcome, but to much great peril. And so therefore, much of the heart disease burden may be traceable to uh, influences of this mismatch of the circadian rhythm and to changes in sunlight. But there are also other 
uh, factors such as latitude and altitude that profoundly affect the risk of heart disease. People who live in uh, higher altitudes are actually have less risk of the disease than people who live uh, at near sea levels. And then we know that people who live in high latitudes, the blood pressure is actually higher the further you go away from the equator, whether you go north or south. So there are these geographic, ecological, meteorological effects that profoundly influence the risk of heart disease. That is fascinating to me and sounds like a great case for moving to Ecuador. Do we know why this is? Oh, because we are adapted to different areas. So it, it, it is the amount of sunlight that we get depends upon the skin color we have, right? So people who live in northern latitudes are lighter skin because they have to make vitamin D with even low levels of sunlight. But the people in the equator uh, have to protect the skin, so need to be darker. So they, we are all sort of evolved like plants to be in certain zones of sunlight and temperature. And this has big implications for moving around, right? Like if I, like I'm pretty white and I'm used to living in the Midwest here in the U.S. So if I moved down to, let's say, closer to the equator, then maybe that's not going to be an ideal locale for me to live in because my skin and my body haven't adapted to an equatorial environment? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's true because we, we, it is 100,000, 50,000 years of evolution adapted that. So the, the mutation for the light skin in Europe occurred almost about 50,000 years ago. So that's 50,000 years of sort of acclimatization to that environment. And so if you move to a different environment, then the body has to adapt. And now we are fortunate, you know, and you can take vitamin D and you can put sunblocks, whatever. There are ways to overcome that geographic limitation, but we have all adapted to certain geographic locales. So, the, I mean, the sunlight is one thing. Same thing with with circadian rhythms. So like in people who are from the northern latitudes have a circadian rhythm that's variable because in Europe and north latitudes, there is sunlight could vary from like, you know, one hour, two hours to 24 or 20 hours. Whereas the sunlight duration doesn't vary so much in the equator. So the people who are from near equator uh, have a very much more fixed circadian rhythm. So when we live in these artificial environments with lights and so on, then the people from the equator and nearby regions would have much harder time varying the circadian rhythms uh, than people from northern latitudes. Who knew your environment could have such a big impact on your health? Again, that was Dr. Aruni Bhatnagar, and he'll be back tomorrow. Stay subscribed to learn the surprising ways urban and rural environments can impact our health, along with tips to help you stay healthy. Did Polynesians interact with Native Americans in the 12th century, even though the two were divided by 2,000 miles of ocean? New genetic research says yes. Okay, so first, where's Polynesia again? Well, Polynesia isn't so much a place as a thousand places. This collection of islands spans 4,000 miles of the Pacific Ocean, from Hawaii to the north, to New Zealand to the southwest, to Easter Island to the southeast. Its first inhabitants arrived 3,000 years ago from the east coast of Asia. Over the next 2,000 years, their descendants settled island after island until they reached Easter Island, also known as Rapa Nui. For this study, researchers compared the DNA of people from Rapa Nui and other Polynesian islands, along with those from countries along the Pacific coast of South America, more than 800 people in all. 
a lot of the Polynesians had Native American and European DNA from recent ancestors. No surprise there, because traveling huge distances is no big thing these days. The big surprise was that six of the Polynesians from five different islands had stretches of DNA from the Xenu people of Colombia. Based on the length of the DNA fragments, researchers think those Native American ancestors lived about eight centuries ago. So how'd that happen? Researchers have a couple of ideas. The most promising one is that groups of Polynesians sailed thousands of miles to South America and then brought some of the people they encountered with them on the return trip. It's also possible that South Americans made the voyage themselves. That second idea harkens back to an older theory called random drift, which says that the first Polynesians were South Americans who rode ocean currents to Polynesia on rafts. A proponent of this theory was a Norwegian adventurer named Thor Heyerdahl, who brought a lot of attention to the idea in 1947 when he rode a balsa wood raft from Peru to the Tuamotu archipelago in the Pacific. But there's not much evidence to support that theory. And it's also based on the racist idea that native Polynesians couldn't have had the incredible seafaring skills needed to navigate the Pacific and land on some of Earth's most isolated islands. Scientists now accept what Polynesians have known for a long time. The indigenous people of the Pacific have been incredibly skilled seafarers for centuries. Polynesian explorers were making extremely long voyages, probably in double-hulled canoes, right around the time the study suggests they made contact with South Americans. This was right when Polynesians were discovering a lot of the islands in the Pacific, including Hawaii, New Zealand, and Rapa Nui. With all that exploring, making it 2,000 miles to South America doesn't seem that far-fetched. Let's recap today's takeaways, starting with the fact that the field of environmental cardiology came about because we haven't gotten a whole lot better at treating heart disease by changing the way we treat individuals. And it turns out the environment itself has a lot to do with heart disease and lots of other aspects of human health. Yeah, like heart disease can be really affected by your circadian rhythm and the amount of sunlight you get. And there are ways to overcome your geographic limitations, like by taking vitamin D, but we've all kind of adapted to our locales. And environmental cardiology is helping us understand how that affects us. And if you thought any of this stuff Dr. B talked about today was surprising, wait till you hear what he's got for you tomorrow. Really interesting stuff. We also learned that new DNA evidence suggests that about 800 years ago, Polynesians interbred with Native Americans, which may mean the Polynesians were able to sail across 2,000 miles of ocean to South America all the way back then. What can the researchers say? Except, you're welcome. <laughs> I get it. That's from Moana. Last week, I tweeted a video of The Rock singing You're Welcome to his two-year-old daughter. It is... Probably the cutest video I've tweeted in ever. Yeah, it is really cute. It's a good palate cleanser for basically everything else on Twitter. <laughs> well, it also made me realize that I've never seen Moana. I had to go look up what the original song after I saw the thing you tweeted. So, uh, no, Moana is so good. One of my wife's friends came and visited us about a year and a half ago, and she had a three or four year old daughter, and she wanted to watch Moana, and she put it in for like five minutes, and we're like, oh, she'll watch it, and we'll all chat. We all ended up watching it in like five minutes. Oh, it's so good. 
I just watched Lilo and Stitch for the first time. And uh, I, I always get those two movies confused. So now I need to watch Moana also. Lilo and Stitch and Moana? Yeah, they're both in Hawaii, right? They were made like 30 years apart. <laughs> no. Ten. No, they weren't. Five. <laughs> More than one. <laughs> I've never seen Lilo and Stitch. All right. You watch Moana. I'll watch Lilo and Stitch. Perfect. We'll circle back and regroup. Today's last story was written by Grant Curran and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Today's episode was produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.